Welcome to Towards a Smarter World. This is your host, Cruz Saunders, and I'm fortunate to be here today with Anna Schlegel. Anna is a native of Catalonia and a linguist at heart. Today, she's the Senior in Director of Information Engineering, Product Portfolio Solutions, and Globalization Strategy at NetApp. And she's been head of globalization, information, and digital presence at companies like VMware, Verizon, Cisco, and Xerox. Anna has also been the CEO and General Manager of two Bay Area globalization agencies. She's also the author of Truly Global, which just won the number one global markets book. Really remarkable enterprise content leader, architect, technical communications executive, globalization leader with years of innovation and transformation. Anna, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Tell us about the changing relationship that executives have with content in global organizations and how are those relationships continuing to change today? I'm going to speak on behalf of the companies that I've been working on, which is typically high tech in the Silicon Valley, where product is everything. The features of the product is everything. And content typically has played a secondary role to the product feature, just as globalization. Usually it's an afterthought or it's not seen as key or crucial. However, I think that's changing. And there are some executives that are thinking about content all the time. For example, a chief marketing officer is very, very concerned about content and what appears and the sentences and the brand and the value of that content. And it's a very dynamic world for marketing executives. I think executives that drive the digital support experience also, but they see it very differently, right? They see it from the support lens. There are few executives that have it as a core goal, for example, for their yearly achievements, but I don't see many other executives. Maybe the e-learning executives, so vice president of uh, e-learning organizations, obviously how content performs and how they explain the products is very, very important. So these are typically the champions for content. In our case right now, I'm the person inside of the product business units that's driving this content strategy. Do you think it's unified around the customer experience? Are the executives most accountable for customer experience? Are those the ones most interested in content? Or what is the distinguishing factor between interest versus ignorance of content? I think if you would interview uh, C-level or senior VPs, vice presidents, is content important? I think everybody would say yes. Do they have projects and programs to improve the performance of that content or the value of that content? I would say that you will get a lot of blank stares. And so that's why it's very important that there's a few champions at that level inside of the company because it is about the customer experience. If you can't find the content, you get upset. If you come to a company with a support problem and you can't find the answer, you get really upset, right? So yes, it could leave or the strategy could leave in customer experience. And if it doesn't, it needs to be very well tied into that. It reminds me of the content supply chain dynamic where there's a, not a huge awareness within the executive ranks that um, product supply chains and distribution supply chains and, and all need to be matched with content supply chains as well. That's right. Yeah. And we see vice presidents of manufacturing and you see vice presidents of supply chains, but you don't see a vice president of content. You see uh, marketing leaders, you see support leaders, but not necessarily from the content angle. And I think the word chief marketing officer didn't exist a few years back. I hope that in the next year or two, we start seeing some chief 
content officers because the digital experience doesn't happen magically. And if companies are siloed, just looking at support, just looking at e-learning, just looking at marketing, just looking at product, it's not healthy. You need to unite all of that. But who is that person? Yeah, who's responsible for the holistic, omni-channel, cross-functional customer experience. Every one of our clients has that issue. We don't report to an omni-channel ultimate source. And so, of course, we create in verticals. That's right. I don't know anybody with the title Chief Content Strategist. I think uh, maybe Scott, I've seen him, Scott Abel, I've seen him sign his title sometimes as Chief Content Strategist or Instigator or whatever, right? I, I don't think we're there yet. And I think, yes, silos are there. Silos are good. But then the enterprise-wide, there's some layers of the silos that, that need to collaborate. And yes, it would be great if companies had a chief content strategy, somebody whose only job is to look at all these pieces of content. Are they necessary? Are they following the customer experience? Not just to buy, but to support and return and try and renew and reconfigure your products and compare your products and find upgrades, etc. Those All those things leaving very different corners of the company. And so who is that one person that looks across? In our case, what we're attempting to do is put a forum that's actually starting to understand this is a problem. But it's also a huge opportunity to delete, unify, cross-link, understand others, etc. So it's kind of like a journey of empathy around content. Let's talk about that forum because one of the things we're constantly advocating is this idea of cross-functional conversation. Create a community of interest, create a dialogue, create a committee, create a, a steering group. Ultimately, we'd like to see that in the form of a content services organization that's actually chartered permanent cross-functional org. But the idea of the forum is remarkable and you've made incredible progress in getting so many stakeholders involved. Can you tell us about the shape and size of the forum at NetApp and, and what it took to get there? The forum was an idea that we had, but we didn't know we could pull off. And so we had to involve everybody in my team. We sat down and we said, is this something we want to try? Is this something that we think we can pull off? Who is going to be not wanting to participate? Who do you think will want to participate? So once we mapped the stakeholders that we thought needed to be in this forum, we started shopping the forum around. And at the same time, we did see a need from the CIO of the company to remove some of the redundant architectures. We had too many content management systems. I think this is a natural for companies that have been around for a while that don't have a chief content strategy where different departments acquire different systems. You don't need all these systems. You need to consolidate these systems, have one architecture that is actually reflecting the customer experience. And if it doesn't go towards this customer experience, that architecture should not be there, should be consolidated, should really be questioned of why is it there. Right. All of the redundancy creates so much cost. There is a lot of cost. There's a lot of licensing fees. There is a lot of people maintaining these systems. And equally important is to understand how many sites and portals and wikis and communities are out there and which ones are being updated or not. I mean, if you, any company can do an inventory and ask very simple questions. Can you call someone? Can you email someone? Is the copyright from this year? You know, you're going to start understanding very quickly 
quickly if these sites are updated, if somebody is taking, taking care of the sites or the sites being curated. And if they're not, then you need to understand what's the goal of this site. And if you don't get any good answers, you need to delete these sites. You need to obsolete these sites. And for the sites that exist, you need to map those sites to the journey and the pieces that don't go to the journey, they need to be removed out of the way of the customer experience. Wow. And as somebody who I understand has consolidated over 70 different properties in a huge initiative, you've seen the dark and difficult times of transformation of content set. We are in that journey. So we have identified a larger than usual, a larger than we would like to number of sites that we're now going through methodically and saying, is this needed? How does this map? Another way of doing this, which I think we are looking at, is what is the right customer journey? And then what are the sites that are feeding into that? So we're going to start feeding those and we're going to starve the other ones. We're going to invest in the search experience, in the taxonomy experience, in the authoring experience, in the localization experience, in the cross-linking experience, in the account accountability of that side. That's where we're going to put our efforts. What is the role of that forum in helping to facilitate those kind of transformations? The forum has folks from across the company, and we have a lot of blind spots. I am in engineering. I don't know what support is doing. I don't know what the university team is doing. So they bring in they their focus is around content. What is it that we can't touch? What is it that needs to be cross-pollinated? So it's a, a large puzzle, and everybody has a few pieces of this puzzle. This puzzle needs to be mapped to the customer journey, not just the buying journey. It needs to be mapped to the whole enterprise interaction of the customer to get support to renew, to return, to upgrade, to reconfigure, to complain, to come and join and learn, to get NDA for new product roadmaps. So what are all those pieces you really need to understand? And we have different personas. We have different business units. We have cloud products that the content goes up and down very, very quickly. We have larger, more historical products at NetApp that have been in development for 25 plus years. So the experience is very different we have to be very careful that customer journey collaboration does that happen in the forum as well like understanding the customer journey as a group yes this forum has very specific number of meetings and we spent a lot of time working on what are those meetings going to be and what are we going to get out of those meetings a lot of at the beginning i think we're in the middle of this forum now but at the beginning was very much who are you what do you own and what's your part of the experience and let everybody speak up freely on what do they think they own and then we were able to see okay we own this piece we own this piece they own this piece now what are the gaps what are the beautiful things that we need to learn from each other etc so the experience yeah for sure absolutely love that and the ability to enact change also involves patterns especially in a large organization with needing to create standards or ways of thinking that help people to act in a local way towards a global 
global end. And so one of the things I've heard you speak about that is a shared passion is this idea of principles for organization. And I've heard you talk about the Magnificent Seven. Tell us a little bit more about what that is. Yeah, the Magnificent Seven is a movie that I watched when I was a little kid in Europe. And I always thought, wow, these people seem very powerful, you know, and they're always like riding on a horse. And when we were working with my team, we came up with seven attributes of great content. And for whatever reason, I made the connection. These need to be seven very powerful attributes. And we just call them the Magnificent Seven. And these attributes need to resonate to anyone that owns a content experience. It applies to everybody pretty much. Maybe there's one or two things that don't apply, but in principle, this is a baseline of is the content being measured would be one of these attributes. It's the content modular. Is the content ready to be cross-linked? Is the content localizable? We spend a lot of time, you know, and money localizing content. We need to be able to do that very efficiently. Is the content well authored? So each one of these things is one of those magnificent seven and it was a good story and it's been a good story for us to make it very simple because to drive change you need to put something out there or throw it in the middle of the table that people can grab onto or hang onto and make it theirs we put these principles there but then how do you measure what are your thoughts on these magnificent seven attributes are you there how can we help you start measuring your Absolutely love the the coherence that comes out of having shared understanding of action, right, in the form of a framework, in the form of a, a set of standards. And when you talk about the mottos and the emblems and making it their own and all of that, it reminds me of a political campaign. And I've heard you also say that, that it's like a political campaign. What does that mean? Well, driving change inside a corporation with a revolving door of new players throughout the years is not easy. And so I've always tried to understand who are the best politicians or who are the best people that drive change out there. And I've tried to mimic some of their methodologies of having a consistent message, of having the right words. Your team needs to be knowing what you're about to do so that they can represent or complement or be ambassadors of these ideas, the phrases, the keywords, the elevator pitches, the visions, right? Because one person alone or even... Uh, me or all directors under me, we are not enough to drive change in, in a company that has thousands of employees and dozens of websites. So how do we replicate ourselves through social media, through the internal mechanisms that anybody in my team can speak to this, can represent the mission and the vision of running an enterprise content strategy? It takes a lot of preparation. And how do you empower that team with what sorts of tools? Is it a campaign guide? How do you run an enterprise? Well, so I, I took the class first myself, oh, right? Yeah. And I brought in some people to train me. And I did that many, many years ago. And so the, the things that have worked well for me, I always love to pass on to people that work in my organizations. So at the beginning, they think I'm a little bit out there or different. But when they see that it works, right? So then we train the directors, senior managers, 
leaders, senior program managers that work in whatever effort we have to do. It's a one-day or two-day effort on here's how you speak, here's you go from saying this to saying that, and then they need to trickle it down to their teams. I speak throughout the organization on why we're trying to do this. There are people that will say, this is not for me. And so then you need to identify who are the people that are taking some time to get there. And it's the curve of change management that you always start with, this is not for me, I will never do this. And so how do you take them to, I am a content strategist for the company and I'm as valuable and capable because it's my profession. I am the right person to explain to you how this needs to work. So that journey is what we work on. Wow. One of the things that drives change is, of course, economic motivation, value that's being demonstrable. And of course, as we're working with senior executives who have some really massive market pressures they're dealing with, to time and attention are stretched. Value needs to be foremost on everybody's mind. What is it about content that makes it valuable and how do you communicate that within enterprise executive conversations? So I, I look at it a little bit different. So usually companies are really good at explaining what are their must-win battles or their top uh, priorities or and so you number one every year we listen very carefully to the c-suite on what are the products we have to nail what are the markets what are the maturity of these products some of these products are in growth mode you know some of these products are the cash cow of the company so then you map your teams towards this and you have to make them very very successful and you need to be in their business reviews and you need to be in their design reviews and their usability studies. We make sure that we place content architects in the GUI designs, in the design reviews. And that's my job or the director of the content services job to make sure that content and digital experience is top of mind in how these products are being designed. And so that's, we go in through that lens. And there's sometimes this natural tension of why do we need all this content to why is this product so complicated? I mean, we build products that are complex and perform some very important roles in the life of many, many very well-known companies. Then you have legal compliance. We have to write some things for legal compliance, but obviously our goal is less content and more intuitive GUIs. And so the architects can play a really big role in helping design these products. They're more intuitive that you need less content to install them or to renew them, etc. You've written a paper that talks about the content fabric or talked about it as well. And I, I'd love to hear about that term you coined and what does that mean and how does it apply? Yeah, so NetApp is known, uh, one of the NetApp taglines is the data fabric because we help our customers and consumers move data through a fabric. They can have their data on servers on-prem, but they can move their data on cloud service as an example, right? So that seamless movement of data storage uh, solutions is what we call the data fabric. Now, when I thought of that is something that resonates inside of NetApp, uh, one day, you know, I was sitting in a conference room with some other person and I said, well, if the product and the data needs to be moving seamlessly, so does the content. But it's not the case. We have content in silos, content in different sites. So that was the first time we said, oh, wow, we need content moving seamlessly. 
from one side to the other. And that's when we started doing the inventory of, oh my goodness, we have too many sites to make this a reality. How if we had half of the sites, that would be easier. And so the content fabric is teaching all this content. And the first visual that we created was like somebody needing a content together, right? So how do you grab this content? And we're looking for architectures that would be able to pull content from a variety of sites and give you a personalized view of really only what you need in your language. And that's our vision. It's the content fabric. The relationship between content and data, they seem such close cousins. We end up working in a lot of environments where data is a very strong internal skill, where there's customer database, customer 360 database that's very faceted and focused and available to marketing experiences and technical support experiences. But rarely do marketers or the technical communicators actually use the data availability to personalize experiences. I'm curious about your vision on personalization longer term and what you think are some of the steps that will be needed to help to start marrying together the content and the data in ways that create personal Effect. I think this is going to have to do with artificial intelligence. I don't think even if I had 500 people in my team, we could do this without some smart solutions using artificial intelligence. So we've seen the typical case that everybody understands is natural language processing, right? We have millions and millions of beautifully curated content in translation management systems. What are we going to do with all that data? Right. And one of the solutions is, well, we're going to translate for free because we've retranslated this content. Now we can map the new segments, see if it's in those databases, those segments and artificial intelligence, neural machine translation is going to translate for you pretty much for free. And so we are doing that already at a 55% of all our content is translated through that way. But we are starting to see other areas, for example, where support engineers are writing super valuable information for companies, that content, those issues they are entering on behalf of our customers is content, is data that we want to use to resolve and predict the problems moving forward. So data the more you collect it, obviously, with the permission, and GPDR consents and all of that, but obviously the more data you have, the more you can predict and help and avoid escalations and recommend to your customers. And NetApp is huge on that. There's a product we're working on that's called ActiveIQ that collects information from our customers and it helps them understand when their systems are down, when their systems are going to have to be renewed. It gives them a very good picture of their setup and their data storage solutions. So why can't we do that with content? What are all these data repositories of content that the customer can say, build me this, right now, build me that right now, or localize it with a click of a button. That's what I think some of the areas that we're looking at. Content structure and content assembly is so important to being able to manage globalization at scale, to be able to perform more atomized sorts of customer interactions, and it, it involves an attention to structure that not all enterprises have. 
And um, within the technical communications community, there's a lot more awareness of structure and a lot more native structural thinking. But I'm curious about your thoughts on how the structuralists inside of techcoms can influence the conversation about content structure around the organization that desperately needs that kind of content fabric to come together, but, but doesn't have the mindset for mm-hmm. it yet. I see technical publication teams and information engineering teams talking a lot about data and XML and chunking content and module and all of that. And that is needed. There are other areas that I think are equally important. So authoring is very, very important. Taxonomies are very, very important. I always ask, you know, peers that ask me, how do you drive this? I try to look for people inside the teams that want to drive change or that wanted a new role inside of a information engineering team. I always point them to why don't you become the expert in taxonomy and actually lead it for the company? Why don't you become the champion for authoring and drive that for the company? All these cure and babysitting of the content initially is so important to then share it much, much faster. We have our CMO right now is leading a huge effort to make sure that a lot of the content is on similar repositories so that we can share it. And we are seeing more and more software for writers that you don't need to be a super expert in data. There's like the easy data, you know, sort of solutions there so that others in non-traditional information engineering teams can start doing that. And so we need to get out of our own shell and start evangelizing the beauty and the possibilities to folks in uh, support teams and other teams. And the more we are creating content that's shareable, the better. And you've talked about building a content culture, the cross-functional initiatives and conversations with the forum and a lot of other efforts that you've been working towards all aim at this content culture. What are the things that our listeners can do inside of their own organizations to help to start to build a content culture? Identify who are the main thought leaders inside of the company. That would be number one. Number two, take them out for lunch. Number three, understand all the systems that are floating around the company and create a good map of the company. More often than not, you're going to have a story right there and you will be able to create a future history. So you will say, well, today at company ABC, we have these many writers. They don't collaborate. We have these many systems. They don't talk to each other. So right there is a lot of opportunity. Or maybe it's not that bad, the middle of this journey. So if you're in the middle of this journey, get yourself some amazing sponsor. It could be your CMO. It could be a head of customer experience. It could be your CIO. CIOs are always there trying to save costs on architectures. So that could be something else. Go to the C-suite with a good story and well-researched. All of those things are very good. These are good things for your company. Always have, again, the customer experience in mind. You can videotape yourself trying to perform some tasks. One thing could be my son just lost a game and I need to reinstall it. I need to sign in. I need to find it. I navigate. The keyword is not there. Then I find it in a language that I don't need. Go and explain all these stories, but spend time studying this. I know people get very frustrated. This doesn't work. That doesn't work. Well, it doesn't. So go and explain it and then see what is it 
it that you would like to do about it? I am not a big fan of people that point out problems. I'm a big fan of people that research the problems not too deep and then come up with, we could do three things. We could let it be, or we could do something about it, or we could go and get major sponsorship for it. And also very important is to show some small quick wins. So guess what? I went to have lunch with someone. We decided to cross-link each other website. Wow, that's a win. I went to evangelize on localization to somebody else and we talked about Korean customers or Japanese customers. Guess what? We're about to localize those pages, right? So what are those things that are small, not too expensive, but your customer is going to think like, okay, they're getting their act together. They're starting to make my life easier. It's always about the customer. This is very valuable wisdom. You've described visioning long-term, creating conversations and connections, and then working in a short-term tactical way that can also make progress. So there's this layer, multiple layers of action that individuals can take that are, are there. This is for folks that are just starting, right? I mean, you now see major giants that have to figure this out years ago. I mean, you see Netflix going in, out in multiple countries. You see Microsoft, you see Amazon, you see PayPal. There's lots of people have figured this out. They still have a lot of challenges because there's a proliferation of sites and new VPs coming in and new directors coming in and people thinking that they can spin up something all the time. So I think a content governance is very, very important. It doesn't matter the size of your company. And I know there are many companies that want to remain siloed because it's more agile and that's okay. There still has to be somebody looking over at the use case of a kid going into your website, of a grandma going into your website, of my mom going into your website, of an executive going into your website. What are those experiences and how does the company react? react to all of those. Well, if departments are not talking to each other, it's the, the experience is not going to be very good. Okay. As a last thread, but I feel like we can talk about afternoon here, but I, I'm really enjoying getting the chance to, to speak with somebody with so much practical experience. The other dimension of your leadership has been expressed in globalization and localization. Your book, Truly Global, has made a major impact for a lot of people. Can you talk about the difference between globalization, localization, and provide some advice for enterprise content leaders who are needing to confront increasingly complex globalization requirements. This would take the whole afternoon, but localization means your product, your project, your program, what you're trying to convince the other person to accept or buy makes sense to the other person. And it can be used in their language. It's working in their country. It's not encrypted, easy to download. It's in the GUI makes sense in your language. The documentation is there. So that's the localization part of it. To me, globalization, enterprise globalization means that that company shows up as a local company, not just one product, but the company. And the company shows up as a local competitor, as a local vendor, as a local agency, as a local thought leader. That is true globalization. And that takes years and that takes a lot of convincing. And again, in the same case as content, there's no chief globalization officers. That customer experience at the local level requires that every single executive 
life is very globally savvy and it's very difficult for companies. I once uh, talked to somebody in HR who was about to hire a major senior vice president in the company. I said, can you ask this person if they've done global business before? Oh, okay. I wasn't thinking about that. So executives are the ones that drive the company globally. It's not the localization team. The localization team gets the complaints of this is not localized. So then you need some globalization champion inside of the company that is tied into the C-suite to explain what's working, what's not working, what department should invest more. You need to be in tune with the strategy of the company. Chief strategies officers are very important in the world of globalization, chief customer advocacy teams as well. It's a large orchestra to put a product inside of another market and that's globalization. Now those products need to be localized otherwise they're not going to stay or stay there. How should we approach the China market in particular? It's going to depend what product you're trying to get into the China market. China in itself is a major powerhouse. They don't want other products getting in. They want their products getting in. They have enough of a market. They want to employ their people. They want to have their universities supporting their local factories, their innovation centers. China will play with other countries if they can take the lead on that conversation, if they can do a joint venture, if you can support their manufacturing process. They are leading the trade discussion right now. They're so well organized. They have government goals. They're very focused. They know what companies are going to be aligned to those goals. They're like a corporation if you understand how they do this. They understand that to win trade, you need railroads. So they are building railroads at the Silk Road, right? They are reinventing all of that. They have everything so well mapped. So how do you play with that? You obviously need a local team in China. You need very savvy folks. If you are trying to get in from the States or from Europe, you need to have friends in there and you need to have folks in there that know how to deal with the government because the government runs the show. Universities run the show, but the universities are observed and watched by the government. So once you understand that multiplay, you need to have gone a few times and you need to have failed a few times. There are ways of getting in through joint ventures or OEMs and you see VMware doing a joint venture with Shugon or NetApp doing a joint venture with Lenovo. A lot of companies have tried. Very often, the joint venture are between China and the U.S. or between China and European leaders. So you have to really be careful that the balance of power inside that joint venture is a balance. It's something that you don't watch very, very closely. And then you define, you know, how much intellectual property you want to let in or not, and who's going to own the code, who's going to own what IP. And so that's how you build it little by little. And obviously, you need people that are very trusted by the other side of the world, whatever you started the conversation from locally, and you need to be collaborating all the time. You need to be traveling there all the time. That has been my experience so far, having done this for a couple of companies. Impressive. I'm looking forward to uh, giving a keynote at TC World China in Shanghai later next year, and I'm interested in seeing the uh, artificial intelligence commercialization zones that have been developed. It's a remarkable pace of innovation that China has been able to create and, and sponsor from public funding as well. 
It's unbelievable. They are so far ahead in so many spaces. They don't carry any money anymore. They don't carry credit cards anymore. So th there are a lot of areas that we, I'm speaking as an American now also. I'm Catalan, but I'm also an American. I keep an eye very, very close. They are very advanced. They're very focused on how the education of little kids right now, having kids here in the States and having many friends that are raising their kids in China, I think we have a problem. And an opportunity. And an opportunity, yes. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> an opportunity. Well, it, yes. It's an exciting world that uh, we're walking into a change in the way that not only consumers work with knowledge, but how enterprises and universities and every one of our consumers and publishers of content are interchanging their whole relationship in a new way. And we are at this vanguard right now where we're transforming the nature of content and you're doing that in one of the largest companies on earth in a very multifaceted global way and i'm incredibly impressed with your leadership and i know our listeners are very lucky to have been party to our conversation today thank you for joining us oh my god thank you for doing this so that we can listen to each other and we can all learn together learn together thank you <laughs>